Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. I do a lot of talking every morning and all that talking makes me thirsty. You have no idea the amount of thirst that goes with recording the show, and that's why I turn to Liquid Death Mountain Water to murder my thirst. Liquid Death Mountain Water isn't like the subpar plastic bottles of processed tap water you're used to. Liquid Death comes from a deep underground mountain source protected by a few hundred feet of stone. The water is tapped right from the source into airtight cans after a fancy purification process that 100% maintains the original mineral profile of the water. And these natural minerals, aka electrolytes, aren't just good for your body. They will murder your thirst instantly. Liquid Death comes in aluminum cans because aluminum is indefinitely recyclable, while plastic isn't. Fun fact, of all the aluminum processed since 1888, over 75% of it is still in current use. You too can murder your thirst with Liquid Death Mountain Water or Liquid Death Sparkling Water. Get a can online at liquiddeath.com or any Whole Foods. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police in the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious life. Morning. Cup of murder. Illness can take a toll on everyone. The person afflicted, the family charged with their care, and the people who love them all suffer alongside the ill. On December 1st, 1924, a very sick man with a very sick wife decided to end their pain and take seven others along with them. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Fritz Heinrich Angerstein was born on January 3, 1891, and was the seventh of ten children living with his family in Dillenburg, German Reich. He was also a very sick little boy who suffered from a number of health issues, including a tuberculosis infection and having his ribs surgically removed. By the time he was 14 years old, he was working a full-time job as a surveyor, a job he seemed to excel at. In 1911, when he was in his early 20s, he married a devout Methodist named Kita Barth and, by all accounts, was a loving husband who cared for his wife greatly. Unfortunately, Kita was diagnosed with severe hysteria and an unknown intestinal disease about 10 years into their marriage. Her illness put a toll on not just their marriage, but Fritz himself, and he became both physically and mentally exhausted by his wife. And because they were unable to have children, 
His relationship with his mother-in-law was extremely strained and wasn't helped by her treatment of his wife. She would often feed the ailing woman a diet of just soup and even then often burnt her meals, causing Kita to run away from home. Fritz punished his mother-in-law by whipping her with a dog whip. In 1921, Kita wrote a letter to Fritz apologizing for not being the wife he needed. The couple talked about the matter and decided that, together, they would end their lives. They were both extremely ill individuals, and all those illnesses were finally taking their toll. They were more than ready to end their lives. However, when Fritz began carrying Kita into the water, they heard the sound of someone singing and took it as a sign to stop their plan and continue living. After that, things, at least for a little while, seemed to be looking up. The couple, along with his mother-in-law and sister-in-law, were offered free lodging in a villa in Hanger belonging to Fritz's employer, van der Zeipen, who was supposed to pay him 390 Reichsmark per month. According to Fritz, he owed him about 90,000 marks. So, in order to get the money he said he was owed, he began embezzling it from the company. According to the courts, that number was closer to 14,892 mark. Four years later, one of Fritz's employees discovered the embezzlement. On November 28, 1924, Fritz walked into his wife's room to see her put away a notebook. A notebook that, upon reading in the coming days, contained her last wishes and that she was expecting to die soon. The next day, the manager who discovered the embezzlement confronted Fritz about the accounting discrepancies. That night, Kita was scared by the sound of six shots in the middle of the night that triggered bloody diarrhea, vomiting, fainting, and heart problems throughout the night. Fritz found out the shots came from a birthday party nearby and began suffering from extreme headaches. Basically, over the course of just three days, things in Fritz's life seemed to be rapidly declining. His wife was dying and becoming increasingly difficult to take care of. He had his own illness to deal with, and he was about to face the repercussions of his shady business dealings. It was all just too much. Sometime between 12 and 1 a.m. on December 1st, 1924, Fritz was woken up by the sound of his wife suffering from severe heart pain. He went to call the doctor, but Kita stopped him and told him instead to get her mother. He sat beside her as she read him a letter. When she finished, he went to change out her pillowcase as hers was stained with vomit and overheard her telling her mother that there was another letter. This one was written by his brother-in-law, stating that he had syphilis and that the disease could spread to other family members. Fritz was furious. Remembering that she once said she wanted to die in the same hour as her brother, he asked her about the letter. Kita had another one of her fainting spells, and with that, Fritz decided to end his, his wife's, and everyone else's pain. With his wife unconscious, Fritz went and grabbed his revolver from another room and returned to find her awake. When she saw his gun, she grabbed his hand and took it from him, saying, his own wife, Lord forgive him, before fainting again. He left the room and, this time, returned with a hunting knife and stabbed his wife 18 times. He then went downstairs and attempted to shoot himself in his study, but both revolvers in his possession failed to fire. Still hell-bent to end his life, he went into the cellar to see if there was something down there. He found a hand axe and poised himself to cut off his own hand. He was interrupted by his mother-in-law's scream. 
When he ran back upstairs to see what was wrong, he was overcome with the anger that he'd been holding on to for years. He walked into the room where his dead wife lie and hacked his mother-in-law to death. He then chased after their main servant, Mina Stoll, who was the next to be seen, and when he caught up to her, he hit her over the head with the axe. He would later say that she died because of her general uncleanliness and his wife's distaste for her. He then returned to his bedroom and chopped up Kita and her mother, worried they may get back up again. His mother-in-law was still moaning, a very small bit of life still left inside of her. Fritz, unbothered, went into the kitchen, washed up, and slept for a few hours. When his 18-year-old sister-in-law, Ella Barth, came home, Fritz awoke, followed her through the house, and then swung his axe down on top of her. At about 7 a.m., a bookkeeper named Reinhold Dittart and clerk named Heinrich Kiel came to the villa to start their shift. One after the other, Fritz called them into his office, locked the door, and hacked at them with his axe. He would later do the same to the gardener, Alex Geist, and his assistant, Rudy Dar. The family dog, who was found with his head bashed in in the cellar, wasn't even safe from his rampage. When he was done and had sent a letter to his brother, Fritz Angerstein poured gasoline on the ground floor, went shopping for some chocolate and a flashlight, came back and set the home on fire. Except when he flicked the flame onto the gasoline, it failed to light. So instead, he decided to stab himself to death. He was ultimately unsuccessful, though his wounds were fairly severe. When reinforcements arrived, they were greeted with a horrific and extremely bloody sight. Fritz regaled them with a story of 15 to 25 violent bandits who killed everyone in the home and left him for dead. He was brought to the hospital where he was operated on and a fear blanketed over the whole town. Everyone was scared that this group of bandits would strike in their home next. Extra policemen were sent for protection, and militias were formed to fight this imaginary group. But investigators who were brought in doubted his story from the beginning. The bodies were already stiff with rigor mortis, and Fritz's fingerprints were found on the murder weapon. Though he originally denied all involvement, when presented with the facts, Fritz Angerstein finally confessed to killing the eight people inside of the villa. His trial became a media sensation, and, next to Fritz Harmond and Peter Curtin, is considered one of the great mass murder trials of the Weimar Republic. In total, he was charged with 13 crimes, eight of which were murder, and after 153 witnesses and 27 experts gave testimony, he was found guilty and sentenced to death eight times. He was executed by decapitation with an axe on November 17, 1925. In the years following the murder, there have been speculations about the motive of his crimes. Many believe the illness and embezzlement were strong motives, while others say he was inspired by the sixth and seventh books of Moses, which states that by killing nine people, a seal would activate that provides great riches. I also found some sources that claim that this case was one of the rare instances where an optogram was performed. This is a photograph taken from a deceased person's retina that is said to show the last thing that the person saw before death. When it was performed on one of Fritz's victims, it yielded a photo of his face and another of him attacking the gardener with a hatchet. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 2nd. 
Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. Oh, and one last thing. Today is Dylan's birthday. It's my husband who edits the podcast. So he's listening to this right now. So happy birthday. I love you. And remember, stay safe. Stay safe.